Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The League of Gentlewomen Witches by India Halton. This was just published in 2022 and is the second book in the Dangerous Damsels series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary advanced reader copy from NetGalley and Berkeley. So we did review the first book in this series, which was Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels. You Yes. I am so proud because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to remember that title. Perfect. I'd like a medal. Um, First try. Oh, my God. We did. We liked it. Um, it's really interesting in terms of its format. Um, and, and this book carries on that structure very loyally. Yes, indeed. So uh, I feel like it's more about the style than the substance, for sure. Definitely. And that's not, I'm not, this is not necessarily a criticism because the style, it's all about the style. Like that's the Right. Point. So if you'll recall, these are written in a very deliberate staccato way from the perspective of like a proper lady. Mm-hmm. but it's a fantastical world with magic and house flying pirates where uh, their norms, values uh, and understanding of what is proper are extremely unrecognizable. They, they are governed by their own code of conduct. Absolutely. Well, should we start us off with the jacket as you as per usual? Sounds good. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the tea house, Miss Charlotte Pettifer belongs to a secret league of women skilled in the subtle arts. That is to say, although it must never be said, witchcraft. The League of Gentlewomen Witches strives to improve the world in small ways. Using magic, they tidy, correct, and manipulate according to their notions of what is proper, entirely unlike those reprobates in the Wisteria Society. When the long-lost amulet of Black Barrel is discovered, it's up to Charlotte, as the future leader of the League, to make sure the powerful talisman does not fall in the wrong hands. Therefore, it is most unfortunate when she crosses paths with Alex O'Reilly, a pirate who is no Mr. Darcy. With all the world scrambling after the amulet, Alex and Charlotte join forces to steal it together. If only they could keep their pickpocketing hands to themselves. If Alex is not careful, he might just steal something else, such as Charlotte's heart. Yeah, I look. I wish the writing style of the jacket more closely matched the book. Yeah, it's similar, but it's not. Syntax. That's, I wish the jacket's syntax more closely matched the book. I think that was perfect. I think <laughs> you did a great job with that. I don't disagree with you. I, I think that, like we just said, the charm of the book is in its writing and like how it's written. And although this does get across the plot, you don't get that. The, the vocabulary, the syntax, the style of yes. the book. So, and given correct. that that is the appeal of the book. Yeah. 
you'd think more of an effort would be made. Are you okay? <laughs> it's daylight saving time. That's the problem. Probably. Alrighty. So as usual, we generated a random number and then used that number as the word count to write our own summaries. And this week, that random number was 23. I'll start. Charlotte's behavior is governed by rules of propriety and non-existent witchery. She definitely shouldn't be cavorting with a sexy pirate based on either standard. Very, very true, Lane. I, I was inspired by the book's inspiration. So here's mine. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a debut romance novel must be in want of a sequel. Charlotte and Alex, battle couple ahoy. Yeah, so you may recall from the first book that they quoted a lot of famous British poets and playwrights. Yes. In um, this book, Charlotte is obsessed with the original romance authors. Yes. So Charlotte is really into Jane Austen specifically. And in the first book, it was like more the romantic authors and especially mm -hmm. the Brontes. So like Wuthering Heights was quoted at length in book one. Wuthering Heights and Byron, right? Byron as well, yes. Mm -hmm. Or, well, there were there were a few romantic poets who were. I think Byron. There was also Tennyson. There were yeah. quite a few. There were quite a few poets who were quoted. This at is mostly Austin, a little bit of Brontes. Yes, exactly. So I, it was to the point that you would recognize a reference and you'd be like, I got that one. And then you'd read a, you'd read the next line and you'd be like, is that a reference? Oh, I'm missing <laughs> something. I think we both said about the first book that it made us feel dumb. A, a little bit. Yes. It, it helped that I had just read something about the Brontes when I read that one. Like it, I'm not kidding. It really helped. Yeah. This one, it's been a while since I read any Austin. So I was like, I think that's from persuasion, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. <laughs> I know the feeling. Mm hmm But anyway, so that's, it's not a trope, but I think this is the, the guiding light of this entire series, to be honest. Are these literary illusions interwoven with this very plain way of speaking? Yeah. And it's, I think it's a way both of paying homage to those authors Mm -hmm. But also making, not making fun of them, but maybe making fun of the people who pay homage to them. Again, I don't think I'm smart enough to get all those layers. <laughs> I just, I, I get the feeling that, you know, there are so many people who are obsessed with Jane Austen. Right? So many. Yeah. And to the point where sometimes you're like, okay, like, you can, you can wrap it up a little bit. And I feel like that's what Charlotte was. That's what Charlotte's role was in this book, a little bit. That's accurate. All right. Let's see. Before we get carried away, what are the tropes of this book? I think the big one is enemies to lovers because Charlotte is a witch, Alex is a pirate, so they are enemies. Yeah, it's not quite families, but... It's effectively the Hatfields and the McCoys, except instead of family name, it's profession in the magical world. It's it's police versus firefighters. Yes. 
<laughs> Except one of them is criminalized and the other isn't? Yes. For reasons that are unclear to me. Well, I, yes, that's a good, well, I think they're both criminalized, actually. No, but when they were fleeing the cops in this one scene, this is like a super spoiler-free version, don't worry, guys. Um, she's like, okay, I'm just going to fly. And he's like, nope, you're going to hold on to the ladder of this flying house because we're in view of cops. Right. Well, I, So somehow, I mean, the, the fact that they were using magic to fly a house was less damning in society's like perception of witchery than her actually flying right well i mean pirates are criminalized but it's not their use of magic that makes them criminal they are criminals because they pillage and and thief and right but they're not considered to be doing magic in the way they could get persecuted for witchcraft right and that was a distinction that didn't really make sense to me you just had to roll with it you just have to roll with it. I mean, I guess the magic that makes a house fly is, I mean, they do kind of, I think it was interesting. They did make sort of this difference between like there's big magic that's very obvious. And there's this subtle magic, which is, look, there are tons of women pirates. We know this because we read the first book. Mm-hmm. But it, it because Alex is a pirate and because Charlotte is a witch, it felt like this masculine feminine contrast to me when I was reading. Sure, but it just made it interesting to me that the more subtle witchcraft is the one that was more persecuted. Right, which to me played into the (laughs) feminine masculine thing as well. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about it less explicit and we're like, okay, but why is like levitating a bigger deal than flying a fucking battle house? (laughs) Well, I mean. That's, but that's, you know, that's the whole point of misogyny, right? Well, right. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's another part of the reason why it struck me as being sort of divided that way, even though, and yes, I acknowledge this, most of the pirates are women. Okay. You are seen. (laughs) Thank you. What are the other tropes? Well, we have the love versus duty trope, right? Yeah, so Charlotte is the trope reluctant heir of the league of witches that doesn't exist. And she, in cavorting with a pirate, is betraying her found family or whatever. Right. So if she goes off with a pirate, it's, it's, again, this is so, I feel like this is so big and so much media these days. It's really the, like, self-care versus workaholic thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, but I'm not, you know, you know, you can't be married and also have a job. I mean, that's what her aunt says, basically. Which is why she is the worst. She's worst. She's terrible. All right. What else have we got? Oh, my God. Pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's such a great trope, isn't it? Yeah. So she's there in the flying battle house in the middle of adventures. And she's like, I- I'm going to need to not be in a giant skirt to do what we're talking about doing. And there are so many oh my god pants moments from his perspective. It's so funny. 
is really funny. We have we have a lot of tropes that are acknowledged slash subverted slash embraced. And one of those is the only one bed trope. It's more of an only one room trope. And then they force it to be the only one bed trope. They're like, oh, there's only one, there's only one room left. Oh no, there's only one bed. And they go in and there are, it's like in the 1950s sitcoms where there are two twin beds that are far away from each other and they just push them together and they're like, there's only one bed. <laughs> I also love the subversion there because they'd talked about having sex before they got to the inn. Yep. Before they knew whether or not they'd be forced to share a room. And so it wasn't this like moment of overwhelming passion yep very similar to the only one bed trope in the duke who didn't yes which is the highest honor a comparison to that book is it's really just it's a gold star yes exactly uh and one of the other tropes that's subverted is that sad tragic orphan trope because neither of them are sad, tra- sad, tragic orphans. He's a little bit. Like, his, his dad's an alcoholic, and his mom died when he was really young. He had a rough family life. Right. He has daddy issues, so he has trope daddy issues and trope stepmother issues. Yeah, I'm just like, she is full subversion. Both of her parents are alive, happy, and love her. And love each other. And love each other. He's got enough of a broken home that, like, doesn't really have a support system. Yes. But neither of them were, like, actual street urchins. So subverted in that way. (laughs) Right. At this point, if someone's not a street urchin, this is a subverted trope. Anything else? Right, nothing else that strikes me as like romance novel tropey. So I think we're yeah. safe. Okay. So like I said, this book is super referential. I said this about the first book as well, but I feel like this is almost like postmodern literature, but in the form of a romance novel, which if you go into it, if you like postmodern literature, then you, then you will like this as a romance novel. <laughs> but This book references books that reference other books, right? And so you're never going to catch everything. Yeah. I definitely think I'd enjoy this this series more if the literature being referenced was more my speed. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Because I like to totally, to compare it to a series that's not like it at all, You know, we were talking in the Dark Olympus series about how some of the impact of that series is lessened for us because there's not much actual reference. Yes. Whereas I feel like if that series had the degree of a referential buildup that this does, that series would be way better. But because I just don't have the knowledge of the Brontes or Austin or the romantic poets to, like, get it tongue-in-cheek I'm I'm missing all of it and I know it which is frustrating yeah but and the thing is too it's not they're not just referencing Austin they're gonna reference like the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice 
you know? Yes. Because that, that's the thing too, right? Or Emma. Not Emma. <laughs> Clueless. We'll reference Emma through the Clueless lens. Yes. Jeez. That took me a while to get that out. Damn. We're doing so good with words. Tonight, it's a just screw you, Daylight Saving Times. All I have to say. Yep. I, this is a romp. Like, the, the sort of steampunky setting, except it's not steampunk, it's magic, mm-hmm. is so. really fun. And we talked yeah. about this in our first review. There's, he's got a battle house. She very clearly does not have a battle house. And I loved all the snobbery of the witches. <laughs> yes. Like, I thought it was all so fun. So I, I really enjoyed this. It's a romp. Yeah. Is it, I guess the question is, is it a romance novel? Uh, I think so. I mean, the, the couple is definitely the point. Mm-hmm. And there's a happily ever after. And it's, sexy like it's just also like a literary experiment yeah I agree it is like a literary experiment and it is a romance novel it's also a romance novel where Charlotte as the heroine learns more about herself than Alex as the hero learns about himself in my opinion Yeah, and some of that is their life experience, even though this is really common in the genre. She's been brought up as this faded heir, protected from the world, with very little choice in her life. And he's extremely emotionally damaged, but ultimately has gotten to make his own choices and develop his own coping strategies. Mm -hmm. So she just has a lot more room to grow than he does in some ways because of how sheltered she's been. That's true. I will, I will say that there were, so question, could this be read as a standalone lane? I was going to talk about the, about referencing the other characters from the first book. What do you think? I'd say no. I actually feel like I wouldn't recommend reading this one unless you had read the first book. The main villain was a character in the first book, and the lore around her is, I think, super necessary to have in your back pocket. Um, Some of the relationships that you see, like, I don't think would be as meaningful if you hadn't read the first book. But, like, plot-wise, understanding, like, Black Barrel and even just some of, like, the witchy allusions, not illusions, I think it's necessary to have it. I don't know what's gotten into us today, guys, but we're on point. Daylight savings time. (laughs) Can't even handle that. Like the first bipartisan thing with unanimous consent the Senate has fucking done is end time changes. Like, (laughs) I know. And whatever. I'm glad it's happening. It needs to end. (laughs) It needs to end. (laughs) They heard me wailing on on Monday morning. And they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> Shut this woman up. We, this we can't get any business done in the Senate with this noise. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Um, 
I don't know. Okay. So she really goes in all in on the absurdity, right? So this book really is absurd in really fun ways. The one issue I have with it is that Alex has this really tragic backstory. Yeah. Right. So he has this really um, terrible past uh, that's affecting his choices, his career choices, his relationship choices. It's affecting him, you know, really um, strongly. But the the thing is that the book is written as such a farce that I'm never sure whether I should take it seriously or not. Yeah, there's one scene in particular where he has a PTSD flashback. Mm -hmm. And tonally, it was such a shift that I didn't know what to do with it. That's the thing. Um, So I'm not saying that romances shouldn't tackle difficult issues, because I obviously think that they should and can. But I don't know if this series should tackle serious issues. Yeah, and I think that sort of takes us right into content warnings. Mm -hmm. Not only was he abused by his stepmother, and not only does he have a neglectful, alcoholic father, I want to highlight this specifically in case there's anyone particularly sensitive to it. He was raised Catholic and beaten by nuns. Mm -hmm. And that obviously has even wider social implications. Like, it's one thing if his stepmother, who was literally an evil witch had ruined his childhood. Like, yes, I always think an abused child is something worth referencing, but that's not real life. Like, abusive stepmothers or abusive parents, yes, real life. But abusive witches who, like, seduce their fathers and harm them with magic, not real life. The Catholic Church abusing kids is obviously clearly real life and was not something I expected to be put in the middle of this novel. Right. And... I felt like I did read a story about Charlotte growing and changing and evolving as a person. I don't know if Alex being able to overcome his prejudice against witches, which is because his stepmother was a witch who was abusive, was something that I could really get on board with in a novel this light and frothy. You know? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's this. It's certainly not the same level or type of character growth. That said, he clearly opened up about it in a way he never had. Like things that he was repressing, he is now dealing with. But I think by the end of the book, you kind of believe that he's at the beginning of working on himself without really knowing if he's going to follow through on it. Where she's sort of been working on herself all book. Yeah, and in a romance novel. I want the ending to be we've worked on ourselves and now we're the best possible versions of ourselves who are going to get married and have a wonderful marriage. Right? Yeah, but he had abs. I mean, I think that was Charlotte's reasoning. (laughs) It was my reasoning, so it's fine. But this is, it's an interesting take. And I do feel like it's playing into what I've been talking about recently, being in the air, like generational trauma and um, like codependent parents and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So her parents were fine, but her her 
aunt is the current leader of the witch, the witches, whatever they are, the Society of Witches. League. Excuse me. Excuse me. The League of Witches. <laughs> they would never be a society like the Wisteria Society. No. So her, her aunt is the current leader. And she's basically telling Charlotte that she needs to subsume all desire so that she can be the most proper leader of the league ever. Yeah. Gotta be witch boss. Yeah, I get it. But, you know, sometimes we don't want to be witch boss. Well, and what's funny is her mother also does not care at all. And in Mm -hmm. fact, sort of pushes her to... Not rebel against her aunt, but, like, knows her sister is ridiculous. Well, her mother's also like, have you seen Alex's abs? Oh, he's a pirate? I don't care. Is kind of her mom's thinking, which was very refreshing. It was really nice. I really liked, I really liked her relationship with her parents. And I really liked the way her, like, I, I wish she'd had better advocates for herself in some ways. Like, because clearly her mom didn't realize just how repressed she felt by the expectations of being the future heir or whatever. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like, you knew her parents loved her and were on her side. Yes, absolutely. Which is really... Really? I don't... Yeah, I was going to In say a romance novel? In a romance novel, yes. Not, I'm not saying it's rare in real life, but on the page, yeah, it's rare. Yeah, I mean, we've got, like, Violet Bridgerton, and that's about it. And her husband is roll dead. (laughs) He sure is. (laughs) Spoiler alert for the TV show. (laughs) In case you weren't sure. In case you were wondering (laughs) if, if, you know, he's dead or not. He He is. He's real dead. All right. Sexiness. (laughs) There's really only one sex scene. It's more explicit than you might expect from the tone of the book. So in the first book, it all the sex scene also was more like 85% of the way through. So there's more buildup. Oh, that's that's what I'm thinking. Yes. Okay. No, I and in this one, they really had sex very early. I was very surprised at the placement in the book. Cause I was like, oh. It's like the first time they're stranded alone together. Oh, they're just waiting for the first excuse, which I thought was amazing. And I totally loved. And I thought was a wonderful decision on their parts. We supported them. 100%. I only wish that we had gotten a few more sex scenes because all the others were basically fade to black. Yeah. They would think about kissing each other and think about how great it was and fall asleep with their heads pillowed on each other's you know, bosoms, but, but that was it. Yeah. It it was a weird book. (laughs) It was a weird book. You're, you are correct in that. Yeah. I totally bought that they were into each other. I got like, this is full battle couple. Like they love pissing each other off and making each other mad. And their arguments are interspersed with making out. And, like, that can be, a, like, I can dig that from a trope perspective. Like, it's really funny and fun to me to read characters who are aware that they're, like, getting off on picking on each other. hmm That said, especially the second half of the book really is 
more adventure than romance because the romance has its payoff so early that the second half of the book is really them being like, is this a fling or do we have feelings? Yeah. And then also denying it to everyone, but also denying it to each other, but also denying it to themselves. And some of that, I thought a lot of the negotiations between the rival witcheries were really funny. Yes. Because they're like, um, I'm sorry, they want to cooperate? That will ruin the good thing we have going here. Yes. And all of that was really fun. But it wasn't really romantic growth or plot growth or character growth. And it wasn't sexy either, so. Yeah, that's part of it. But in case you are wondering, there is at least one explicit scene, a lot of making out, and a lot of thinking about how attractive the other one is. Yeah. It's definitely like a sexy book. It's just not, it's totally very unique. And yeah. I'm struggling, frankly, with. I enjoy it, and I want to love it more than I do. I think I want to like it, but I'm not sure if I do. And I think that's, like, not everything has to be for me. Like, I'm not saying I think it's bad. Right. I just, I don't know how to feel. Yeah. Well, I I, I think I agree with you because, I mean, like I said before, it's over the top, fluffy, absurd, ridiculous fun, but then there are some serious issues that are thrown in. And I'm like, how how am I supposed to feel? So I feel like I'm interrogating myself about how I'm feeling <laughs> when I read the book. Yeah, I don't know that this was the best book to discuss on the day that neither of us have vocabulary. Also an issue. Because I just want to keep saying the same words over and over again. And I don't mean the same words. But that's where my brain's at. I'm not going to lie. I think this is going to be a short episode, guys. Honestly, if the book sounds at all appealing to you, you should probably check it out. It, it is so unique that it's really difficult to describe. Yeah, because as Meg said, the point of this book is the style, is the deadpan delivery, is the... These extremely rigid social mores being put on these absurd, parodical situations, to use the vocabulary of the book. And that in and of itself is, like, shocking and fun. Yeah. But the question is, like, what's underneath that layer and how do we feel about it? And I think both of our answers is, is like, we don't know. Yeah. This is probably a really good book to read in, like, short episodes. Like maybe one or two chapters a day. I think I'm I might appreciate it more if I did that, spaced it out a little bit. It's a tough book to read all in one sitting. And you guys know how much we read for the podcast. So that's sort of the only way I get the podcast reading done. And I agree with you. This one could have benefited from some breathing room that we just inherently can't give it. Yeah. So, you know, it's like it should be decanted and then let it breathe before you inhale it. You drink it after you decant it and let it breathe. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> Please check us out around the internet. Goodreads slash Plotris, Instagram at Plotris, Facebook at Plotris, and anywhere else that you just type the words Plotris, you're going to find us. <laughs>